Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice. Hello everyone, Glenn James here. Welcome to My Millennial Money. Today on the show, we are talking about becoming a financial advisor. Uh, It's a popular question that pops up every now and again, and I'm fortunate enough to have Courtney Dawes with me today. G'day, Courtney. How are you? Great, thank you. How are you? Not too shabs. Let's hear your journey so far. What are you doing with your life? What are you doing with your career? What have you done to date? To date? So I started financial in the financial planning industry about six and a half years ago, started a bachelor's in applied finance back in 2013, so long time ago, Uh, finished the bachelor's and then all this Royal Commission stuff came in and we needed to do a master's in order to become a financial planner. So I've been working and studying and after finishing my bachelor's degree, I then went on to do now my master's in financial planning. Awesome. Now, I guess just for those who are interested in becoming a financial advisor or maybe looking at that as a career option, um, there's a website and we'll put it in the show notes. So, the government implemented uh, basically a body called the Financial Advisors the Financial Advisor Standards and Ethics Authority and their job was to basically run, roll out a, a framework to move the financial advice industry into a profession and make sure that financial advisors were very qualified and very competent uh, coming out of the Royal Commission and a lot of financial scandals. This kind of was the body that would effectively set the framework and it was independent from government. So, Courtney, you wanted to obviously become a financial advisor at some point. Was it as soon as you left school or did you, were you interested in finance generally and that's what led you to that bachelor's degree? So, I went into my bachelor's degree as soon as I finished school and then I tried a few different areas. So, I tried accounting for a bit. So, just doing work experience on the side of those core units at university. So, when you start your bachelor's degree in business, it's usually all your core subjects. So, that's when I was doing my work experience in accounting and I didn't really like it, but I liked the numbers side of things. So, then I ended up getting a role at a financial planning firm just a few days a week and then I just fell in love with it. Yeah, and I think that's so important. Like I would encourage anyone if you are interested in any career, maybe just go and start and working in that industry. So, you know, if I wanted to be a a baker, well, I might go and work at a bakery and just get a bit of a vibe for it and like 
you, Courtney, you know, you dabbled in accounting and then you went over to f- the financial planning side of the fence and then you found that you fell in love with it and then you thought, oh, this is something I want to do long term. Yes, and I think that's important as well. You don't want to do four or five years of a degree and then hate the job. I think it's really important to get a feel and feel if it's something that relates to you. Um, yeah. Every career is different for everybody. Yeah. So I guess where you're at at the moment, you're just about to complete your master's, which basically means that you would have met the new standard uh, in terms of what FASIA have dictated. Now, that standard for new entrants, and if you go to the website, it's really clear. There's a thing at the top of the menu and it's got, uh, who am I? And you can click, I'm a, I'm a new entrant. And then you can go to the education requirements. And basically, it, it means that you need to get a degree and it, it, it even tells you the exact type of degree. And then once you've got your degree, you need to complete a professional year. So that professional year, Courtney, you'll have to basically sign on presumably with your boss because you'll stay where you are working. Have, have they talked to you about that professional year yet? Yeah, so I actually have a work colleague that's going through it at the moment and it's a, a bit of on-the-job work, on work experience and a lot of courses as well. So I think two or three hours a week he's in online classes, learning about different legislation or different strategies or just how to process things or just different trialing different areas of financial advice to get that experience. Yeah. So, if you are, again, interested, you'd have to do a degree now. Uh, you'd then have to do a professional year. So, you've got supervised training by another advisor. And then, uh, whether you're a new entrant or an, or an existing advisor, everybody has to set an exam that's set by FASIA or FASIA. And that exam, it's a face-to-face exam that it goes for, I think, just under three hours. So, it's a big exam and it's kind of like the bar. So, there's basically three things that everybody needs to know if you want to become a financial advisor. One, you have to do a relevant degree. Two, if you've already got a degree... Uh, maybe like Courtney had in uh, another related type of field, you might have to do some bridging courses or a master's degree in financial planning. And then, of course, everybody has to do the exam. So, and what it's kind of done, it's just raised the bar. So, it's a little bit harder to become a financial advisor. Like there were people that could do a week-long course and be qualified, quote-unquote, but they didn't have any practical experience and it effectively led to, in many instances, a bad client outcome because it was very much sales-driven and not uh, a professional environment. So, when are you going to set your, when are you going to do the exam? Courtney, will you wait till after the professional year? Um, So, with the professional year, you have to do it in the middle of it. So, you do your quarters one and two and then you have to do the exam before you go on to finish quarters three and four of that year. Oh, well, there you go. I didn't I didn't know that, but uh, I'm long gone out of the financial advice industry, so <laughs> that's why we've got you on here to, to share your journey. So now you are working in client services. So you're a client services manager. What type of jobs or what type of roles are you doing on a day-to-day basis? 
Yeah, so we're dealing face-to-face with clients, booking in meetings for our advisors, helping our advisors in whatever they need. So say if they need some some paperwork organised or they need meetings organised or they need some help preparing the SOAs or um, so the financial plans, that's what an SOA is, um, or anything like that. Um, we also do a lot of education stuff, so we've got to all keep on top of what changes there are in the industry. Yeah, there's yeah. there's a lot going on. And I would say, Courtney, you will be a better quality financial advisor because you've worked in the office uh, for a long period of time, so you, you actually know how the world works. It's not as if you've just qualified uni, landed, did a professional year, and then, oh, I'm an advisor now. Yeah, you got to get that back end sort of experience as well. Yeah, pretty much just working from the ground up. So it's interesting, like because you're a financial advisor and when you provide a statement of advice or an SOA, which is the quote-unquote financial plan, you'll often be making product recommendations. Now, there are hundreds and hundreds of financial products in Australia, be it investment or insurance. Now, no uni degree, no master's level certification will actually be able to cover what a lot of those products are. So I think it's so valuable to get that life experience working in a financial planner's office because you can start to learn that, oh, that product there, yeah, that was really popular in the late 90s. So everyone has that uh, and it's now an old product. And so you, you kind of learn the nuances with different investment and insurance products. Is that a fair statement that you've come to know? Yeah. Yeah, of course. And I think the experience that other advisors have is just so valuable, just learning different things or different strategies that you wouldn't ordinarily know on your own. Or you can read a textbook, but it's totally different when you're in the actual advice space. And knowing those products and all the different ins and outs of them, sometimes it's a lot better to get a feel for it um, when you really stick your hands in the bun sort of thing. Yeah, and I think some of it as well is like, you know, you're dealing with clients and it's a very intimate situation when you're dealing with clients because I used to say that when you meet with a client, you're opening the hood of their deepest financial goals, their income. If you're doing insurance application, you might understand some sensitive health information. So, it's a very vulnerable space when a client opens up to a financial advisor So, even working in the financial planning office, like one thing that might not get taught at a university level would be client engagement. So, what are some of the things that you might have learned from just working in that environment? Yeah. So, when you go into a client meeting, you really need to understand the client and really be empathetic or listen to what they actually need or what they're looking for in both their relationship and in financial advice. Yeah. Sometimes people just want to chat or they really need someone to be there for them as more of a coach and it's not just all about paperwork. They just Some people just really need that relationship. Yeah, and it really is a people business because you are getting so intimate with people and I kind of learned, you know, with, with dealing with people, there was broadly three types of people like the thinker, feeler, doer and you might get one client they're just a thinker, analytical, and they just need to know all the information before they make a decision. 
And you might get the feeler. They need to know and hear that it's going to be okay. It's going to be, you know, you will have a comfortable financial lifestyle and all the soft stuff. And then you might have the doer that just wants to, no, don't want to read anything. Just tell me where to sign and I trust you. So, it's kind of, you need to learn people if you want to be a good financial advisor. And if you don't like people, it's probably not a career that I would suggest that you embark on. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I think that you've really got to have both sides and the analytical thinking side of things and also that personability skills. Yeah. And I think if I could just go off script for a minute, like the biggest thing from the financial advice industry, one of the biggest issues that uh, is happening is the industry is losing a lot of experienced advisors that can't actually teach the soft skills. And that's a big deal. Yeah, I think that experience, so much experienced advisors are going to be lost and it's really disappointing. And I understand that the industry are trying to really strengthen that base of and get it to that high level of standard. But yeah, we're going to lose so many different experienced advisors that, yeah, it's going to be really sad. Yeah, there's a lot of change. But, you know, we've we've got to trust that Fasia have it nailed. So, there was a question in the Facebook group uh, and someone asked, like, what's the difference between an investment advisor and a financial advisor? So, what if, if your best friend asked you that, what would you tell them, Courtney? So, an investment advisor, I assume that they're more looking at like a stockbroking sort of career. And that's more looking at, from my understanding, financial balance sheets, their statements, their inflows, um, their projections or their position on the Australian stock exchange. Whereas a financial advisor is a lot about being in a relationship and it's not just looking at figures and trying to make money. It's looking at that individual or that family's goals and really tailoring something, a strategy or a plan for their situation. Yeah. And I I think that's the kind of thing, you know, financial advisors generally work to meet a client's goals. So, it's understanding a client, understanding their goals and then working back to say, okay, well, are these there's these products that we need to recommend. Sure, there is an element in every financial advisor's role of recommending investment products. You know, I did it for years. You're about to have a career doing that. But in terms of, quote unquote, an investment advisor, uh, it might be the case if you're in a big firm and you work with, you know, wholesale sophisticated clients and you're doing like multi, multi multi-million dollar top end uh, recommendations. But I guess in the main... For the average Australian, that investment advisor slash financial advisor slash financial planner, they're the same term, is the same thing. Yeah. And if you're going to go down the stockbroking side of things more so than being a financial advisor, I guess it just depends on your personality type. Are you more analytical and like numbers and really want to just be on the computer and stuff or do you want to get out there and talk to people and really have that relationship? So, I would recommend if you are, you know, 
interested in becoming a financial advisor, uh, there's two main associations in Australia. There's the AFA, which is the Association of Financial Advisors, and the FPA, the Financial Planning Association of Australia. And both of those associations uh, have student memberships. So you can actually log onto their website, sign up as a student. I was actually on the board of the Association of Financial Advisors last year. And I think for me and my career, being part of the association, it was so good because I've met so many good people all around Australia. So I'd really encourage you to um, to join an association. And, you know, Courtney's a member of the FPA. I'm a member still of the AFA. Uh, so join my association, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll see you at the conference. Uh, but it, it really is good because there's, there's webinars, there's, uh, you know, before COVID happened, you know, you might go to a local chapter meeting. So you really can be around the industry ecosystem and you get to meet a lot more people than just in your office or, or where you, your employer's office. Yeah, that networking is always good and get that more experience as well or talking to people and getting ideas. Yeah, so as a financial advisor as well, you've got to do professional development points throughout the year. And I believe it's up to 40 hours now and going to different events through the associations, you will get education credits. So your continuing professional development, your CPD points, uh, you've just got to be out there, keep your finger on the pulse. And I would just really encourage anyone listening to join uh, an association, mainly the AFA because they're my people. (laughs) (laughs) oh it's so funny it's so political all you fpa people listening it's okay i love you (laughs) so just to bookend uh if you want to become a financial advisor these are things you have to do number one join an association just be connected in that world number two you've got to get a uni degree or be degree qualified and if you have a degree in commerce or business or, and again, the FASEA website will actually show you the exact uh, frameworks. You've got to get an approved degree. So if you've got the degree in commerce, you might have to do further study. You've got to do a professional year under a licensed financial advisor who can sign off and make sure that you are learning the right things throughout that year. And including that year, uh, there is the exam, which is a face-to-face three-hour it's the bar, quote unquote. And I would encourage you just to get a job in financial planning somewhere. Because like you, Courtney, I started in uh, client services. Then I went into power planning. Then I went into being an associate advisor. And you just got to really learn how the world works. Because experience trumps everything, in my uh, humble opinion. Yeah, I think so as well. And you get that confidence when you have that background knowledge as well of how things work. Yeah. And when you are a licensed financial advisor, what do you think will, like, is there a particular focus within the industry that you like? Um, I really like insurance. So personal insurance, life, TBD, income protection insurance. I think that that's something that's really important that people, I guess, need a bit more education on if they don't know much about it. Yeah. Just the whole concept as a whole, just going through that journey, reaching clients' different goals as well. Yeah. And the insurance thing, it's huge because there are 
so many tax and estate implications that you really need advice on. Uh, so that's why it's so important to see a financial advisor to get the appropriate, I guess, life insurances set up. But there's also kind of subcategories, like there's advisors that specialize just in doing under 30s. There's advisors that focus on young families. There's advisors that so focus on pre-retirement planning. There's advisors that focus on post-retirement planning. There's advisors who focus on insurance. And also when I was uh, an advisor, my kind of main strength was business insurance. So I did a lot of insurances for small businesses and big businesses and key person insurances. And I was pretty uh, technically nerding out on a lot of the insurance stuff, but <laughs> there are just so many things. And another thing that's huge in Australia is the aged care planning. So uh, people moving into an aged care home and they've got a home and shares and other assets that need uh, to be put in a financial advice document to plan that out. Yeah, especially with the baby boomers all retiring, there's a lot of a lot in that space. Totally. And then baby boomers' parents are passing away and them getting an inheritance. So there is just so much. And then within all those kind of subsections, you could niche down on, I, w- I want to do insurance only for doctors or I want to do uh, investment you know, and wealth management for doctors or I want to do holistic financial planning for the law profession. So you can really choose your own adventure. Yeah. There's so much that you can learn in all different areas of financial advice. And if you have a niche, I think that it really helps because you can really specialize in knowing the ins and outs of that area of advice. And then you can really provide, I guess, the best advice when you really know it in and out. Totally. All right. Well, that's been cool just to learn a little bit about how to become a financial advisor. We're going to take a quick break now. And when we come back, we're going to hear a little bit about Courtney's personal journey. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com, click get help, and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. We also have a panel of trusted mortgage brokers we can connect you with to get you into your first home, an investment property purchase, or to review your current loan if you don't have a broker. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers, and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. So Courtney... Thanks for sharing around uh, the career aspirations of a upcoming financial advisor. What would you say like your own current personal financial goals are? Yeah, so at the moment I'm saving for my first home. Uh, <laughs> I'm only 25. Uh, <laughs> Love it. Um, but yeah, just getting comfortable and saving a bit of investing. Um, and just really building that base. Yeah. And how are you saving your house deposit? Just a few different term deposits. I have some investments as well. And so I got a cash reserve as well. Sweet, sweet. Yeah. And have you considered the first home super saver scheme? Yes, I have. For me personally, having the access and flexibility, I haven't chosen down to go that route um, just in case I need funds for other things or if my situation changes and I don't end up wanting to buy a home, I'd just rather have that flexibility of choosing to have those funds 
to use elsewhere. Yeah, yeah, and that's really important. Like it, it is an option there if you're hell bent on buying a house, but you're very clear that the goal posts might change. Yeah, I just want that flexibility. And in terms of, I guess, your life, what do you think the best thing that you've ever done? It's setting up a budget when I was quite young. When I was at uni, I think it was in my first year, a teacher of ours introduced the whole lifestyle inflation concept and how the more money you earn, it's so easy to just spend that extra money. And they really instilled in us that if you get a budget and put it together at that age when you're just a uni student and not making much money and really understanding what money you actually need to live off and or what your goals are in terms of having a budget, it can really create good habits early. Totally. And are you a spender or saver by nature? I think because of that, I'm definitely a saver. Yeah, being molded <laughs> into the savings world. <laughs> <laughs> And, and what, so, okay, so the best thing you've ever done ever was to set up a budget. Yes, and check in with it right. every so often, yeah. Any, I think it's really important to set your goals and check in all along the way. So, any other cool things? Like, have you done a, a silent yoga retreat in India for 30 days or anything like that? Oh, yes, I've done a fair few overseas trips. I went to Canada last year. I've been to Japan a few times. Amazing. Been to Thailand a few times. Yeah, lots of fun. Yeah, love it. <laughs> and what- You'll get to do the fun stuff as well. You're just going to put it into your goals. <laughs> totally. And what's the worst money mistake that you think you've ever learned from? Not investing in myself early enough. So, I think when I was younger, I didn't take enough time or put enough effort and money into taking care of myself in just stuff like taking time out, uh, like getting a massage when you need it, just that self-care stuff. I think if you really take care of yourself, you're just so much more a better person and just investing in things like education as well, it's really important. Yeah, healthy bodies, healthy minds is a a saying that's out there. When you when you left school, you went to. Did you go straight to uni? Yes, I did. Yeah, I was really sure what I wanted to do after school, and I really enjoyed business studies. So I just thought I'd start the business degree and get some work experience on the side. Yeah, and did you do uni full time or part time? Full time at first, and then I think the second year in is when I got my first job in financial planning. And since then, I've just been doing part-time uni and part-time work. And I think for those kind of who are wondering about, you know, starting their career, I think that's just so amazing to do the part-time study and working because at the same time, you're earning money, you're getting practical experience in a field that's of interest, and you're still ticking off your study in the background and it's not a huge workload because you don't get homework from work. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And that experience is just so good. And you can change different jobs in that industry if you don't feel like it's the right fit for you. But getting that experience is so good. Yeah. If your best friend asked you for money advice, what would you tell them? Other than make sure you get a statement of advice from a licensed financial advisor. (laughs) (laughs) Don't compare yourself to other people. Have your own goals. And mark out how you're going to actually achieve them. That's so good, isn't it? So many times, like, 
I was whinging to somebody the other day, like, because we all have crap weeks. I was like, I just feel so defeated and such failure. And they're like, why? I'm like, I don't know. I just not making any traction. And then I remind myself, the only person I need to compare myself to is the person of yesterday and how far I've come. But it's just comparison just really robs your joy and it can send you down a spiral, right? Yeah, exactly. You don't need to buy a house or have kids or anything just because other people are doing it. You've got to do it because you want to do it. Oh, that's what it was. I was like, all my friends, they're like, got a million kids and like getting married. I'm like, I'm just kind of not. And I'm like, am I a failure because I don't have like a litter of kids and, you know, a happy (laughs) family and all that. And yeah, it's just, it's real. But that's their life and this is mine. Exactly. And I think the older that you get, the more you get comfortable with who you are and understand what you want and yeah. what direction you want to go in. Yeah, it's wild. It's, it's so <laughs> funny because like I'm in such denial. Like in my mind, I still feel like your age, but I'm heaps older. It's so annoying. <laughs> You're only as young as you think you are. <laughs> oh, I'm a 17-year-old boy still. Like. <laughs> I still drive around like doing burnouts and I just dropped my freaking laptop. It's a new one as well. So, I like to ask people this question, Courtney. If you had 10 grand tomorrow, what would you do with it? But you can't just put it in your boring new home deposit account, (laughs) whatever. Pay off my hex debt. (laughs) Would you really? Yeah. That's the only debt that I have. And although that I know that it is going to get paid off through taxes, but I think, yeah, I think I definitely would put it into my hex. Really? Does that not sound fun? <laughs> not fun no, enough? <laughs> boring. Um, but, hey, I'm not comparing you. You're controlling this $10,000. <laughs> <laughs> where, where would you travel to next? Like if, um, if you could. Go on a holiday. I would say America, but it doesn't really look like a fun place to be at the moment. Totally. <laughs> I would love to go back to Canada. It was amazing over there. Probably last time I did the West Coast, I'd love to do the East Coast. So, were you a skier? Is that why you went? No, I went in the summer, I guess it is. So, more hiking and, yeah, just bushwalk. Well, not bushwalk, yeah. forest walk sort forest of thing. Walk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, wow. That's cool. Yeah, I've never been to Canada. I'd like to go. I've got, I've got a friend there. So, I, I think he's in Alberta. He's, he's oh, okay. Like, I don't know. Yeah, when I, when I had friends over there, so I went and visited Yeah, friends. yeah. Anyway. Well, Courtney, thanks so much for having a chat with us. No problem. Thank you so much for having me. All right, Courtney. Well, thank you so much for uh, being part of the M3 community. Courtney's in the Facebook group, so she kind of... You know, she might comment on some stuff if you write some questions about becoming a financial advisor. She can share her experience. But I think we both agree the first step for anyone would be to maybe join a financial planning association just to get your foot in the ecosystem and then maybe be connected with a mentor program or anything like that. Totally agree. Thank you so much for having me, Glenn. Not a problem. I'll see you soon. (laughs) Thank you. Bye.
We acknowledge the dark and young people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respect to their elders, past and present. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. My Millennial Money supports A21, a charity focused on abolishing slavery and human trafficking all over the world. Check out a21.org.au for more info. If you would like some other giving options, or if you're unsure about which charity you can support, head to thelifeyoucansave.org.au. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive, Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, is an authorized representative of Money Sherpa, Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.